Good morning. I'm Reverend Catherine, one of the ministers on staff. And I'm glad to be with you on this spring break Sunday for some. On a day of NCAA women's and men's basketball celebration and disappointment for others. On a day of Easter preparation and hopefully reservations for all I do remind you, if you haven't had a chance yet to make your reservations for worship here on Easter Sunday, I do hope you will do so. We'll have five Easter services, two here in this room. There'll be a 9 o'clock and a 10.30 contemporary service. We do hope that you will join us on Easter Sunday. We'll be continuing this morning on our Lenten series on John 3.16, but before we get there... Today is also a day in the United Methodist Church in the North Georgia Conference where we are known as Announcement Sunday. It is the day where pastors share whether they will be staying or leaving. And it is my privilege this day to share that the North Georgia Conference has decided in consultation with this congregation that Dr. Bill, Reverend Jeff, Reverend Sarah, and I are all planning to return after annual conference in June to share in another year of ministry with y'all. And so we are excited to be together and to remain here. We look forward to what God will continue to do as we work together. With that, we particularly as clergy say, amen. We do ask though this day that you would pray for many of our brother and sister clergy who are sharing words of move that comes with, I think, both joy and disappointment and sadness there will be folks who are excited about what is to come and God's new beginnings. And there will also be others who are disappointed and hurt and anxious about that. So I hope you will pray for those other United Methodist churches that are getting news that they may not be anticipating on this move day. Now let us continue in our Lenten series. And I invite you to stand as you are able, whether you're here in the room or worshiping with us online, to hear the gospel reading for this day like you've heard over the last few weeks. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You may be seated. Let us pray. Jesus, you the word, become flesh and lived and died among us. You taught, you served, you healed. You gave all so we could have eternal life. Allow us to encounter you anew. Be present with us. Reveal yourself to us. We desire to believe in you as we worship you. Amen. If you were to go and look at John 3.16 and a number of different Bible translations you would quickly learn that though the words might be slightly different, it is very much the same. Occasionally in translations, you'll see variations, maybe nuances, maybe word differences. Not so with this verse that we have been repeating throughout Lent. It is consistent. What does it say? Who? God. Did what? So loved. Who? The world all of creation, each and every one of us, so that, so that God gave who? His one and only son, Jesus. Why? So that they will not perish, 
and have eternal life. These verses speak to God's activity in the world. For the last four weeks, we've been studying these verses and talking mostly about the nature of character of our triune God. God creator, Jesus our redeemer, and the Holy Spirit our sustainer. We are reminded that God is trustworthy and reliable, that God is good and consistent and compassionate, that God is generous and loving. And that love is patient and that love is kind. That love doesn't keep a record of wrong. We understand that God's love is bigger than our love, sometimes hard to understand and one that we can often not replicate. It has a capacity that we can't fully grasp. It's so big, so extravagant, so generous, so loving is God's love for us. So for the last few weeks, and really quite honestly, throughout all of Christendom, we talk about what God has done for us, what God is doing for us, and what God will do for us. God's activity in our lives. Here, though, in the very middle, not only of our lives, but in the middle of this verse, it's humanity's chance. Humanity individually, you and me as individual, but us collectively. Sandwiched in the middle of all that God is doing, we have an invitation and an opportunity. Me and you are invited to respond. To simply respond. To respond to what Reverend Sarah talked about this morning. That unmerited, undeserved grace. The grace of God. To respond to grace that we cannot earn and we do not deserve to respond to love to respond in belief and we respond as individuals yet we do so as a part of a larger community this belief we're invited to isn't based on academics or intellect or logic it's not a belief in dogma or doctrine or tenets i'm not asking do you know physics or modern science or philosophical thought I'm not asking, do you believe the chair exists? And I'm not even asking this day what you believe about the historical man, Jesus. You know, the word made flesh, a child born of a virgin who came to dwell in first century Palestine, the one who taught and healed and performed miracles, who was trusted and beloved, but also betrayed and mocked and tortured and crucified and who died and whose resurrection we will celebrate on Easter, and who would return to earth to once again teach and comfort, but who would return to heaven and would reside in our hearts. The Jesus who fulfills the prophecies of old. That's not what this text is talking about. Not belief about Jesus, though that historical Jesus is well documented in the Gospels, and not just the Gospels, that historical Jesus is documented in numerous other writings and texts and countless eyewitnesses, that historical Jesus is true and relevant, but it's not belief about Jesus that we've come to talk about this today. It's more challenging. It's more difficult. It's belief in Jesus. Remember that chair? You can talk about the chair, but are you willing to sit in it? It's not belief about, it's belief in. 
This belief in is the Greek word pistis. This is faith, credibility, loyalty, trust, conviction, confidence, specifically in Jesus. The invitation in John 3, 16 is, do you believe in Jesus? Many writers and theologians would say, oh, it's easy. Just believe in Jesus. As if blind trust is ever easy. And I don't believe that belief in Jesus really is all that easy in general. But even if belief in Jesus has been easy, and if it has, amen. Praise be to God. But even if it's easy in some seasons, I imagine there are going to be other seasons and days where it can be really hard. So we start with three questions. One, is belief in Jesus easy for you? Two, when did you first come to know about, belief about Jesus? And three, when did you first believe in Jesus, trust in Jesus, was convicted of Jesus? For me, I'm grateful that I did have a relatively easy coming to know of Jesus. I first made a public profession of Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior at the altar of Marvin United Methodist Church in Evans, Georgia, as a seventh grade middle schooler. But the reason that was easy was I had heard the stories of Jesus and the gospel taught at home from the time I was little. And my parents and grandparents had invited me to church and taken me to church and probably drugged me to church most of my life. The stories I knew I had heard of Jesus long before I trusted in Jesus. But not only had I heard the stories at home and in church, I had seen Jesus in the lives of those I encountered. You see, I had listened to older members in that congregation talk about a peace that passes understanding after funerals. I heard testimonies and witnessed a love that was greater than all their fears, fears that I didn't yet understand and wouldn't yet come to encounter, but later I would know is true. I read and gained head knowledge that would become heart knowledge, but I also spent time with individuals like Sunday school teachers and ministers and older adults and counselors and friends at Camp Glisten who would show me God's abiding love in real and tangible forms. Because they abided in love, because they experienced a balm in Gilead, because they passed it along to me, belief in Jesus was easy because there was consistency. What I saw and what I heard and what I believed was the same. It was congruent. So belief in seventh grade, quite honestly, was pretty easy. Yet, I recognize not everybody's heard the gospel stories. Not everybody's witnessed that love of Jesus modeled in their homes nor in their churches. Not everybody's gotten to see lives transformed by love that leads to eternal life. Some haven't heard it. Some haven't seen it. Some have only felt condemned by family and church. Some have only seen the contrast between supposed belief and the actual actions of followers of Christ. Those who say they believe in Christ's way, the way of truth and love and forgiveness, sadly have never experienced it. Instead, they've witnessed hypocrisy and incongruency and sin. 
And sadly, at times, that sin comes even from their pastors. Good and not so good church folks occasionally make belief harder for others. And then there's pain and suffering in the world. There's injustice and isms. There's neglect and abandonment. It is a hard world we live in. And racism and sexism and classism and abuse and all the things about this world that are hurting and broken occasionally can cloud the perspective and diminish the ability for one to see the reality of that big, overwhelming, amazing love. So yes, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever so believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That might be easy to hear and quick to repeat, but it's not always easy to believe in. So if you, like I, want to love more, learn more about this loving, forgiving, life-transforming Jesus, whether it's for the first time or the next time, I got three resources out of 100. One, ask someone who loves and follows Jesus. Why Jesus? Why do you trust him? Why do you put your faith in him? And if you go, I don't have anyone to ask, ask one of the ministers on staff. Ask Matt Jackson. Ask us. We would be happy to talk to you. Ask the people on the pews around you. Ask the members of the Northside Bible class here at Northside. They have gone to mountaintops and valleys low and remain consistent in their faith. And if you need a name of a few individuals with their permission, I can tell you some folks who have seen suffering and loss and the underbelly of life and still they trust in the goodness of God when everything in this world has told them not to. Second, I'd encourage you to do disciple Bible study. I first did it as a high schooler with a group of adults on Wednesday night. That should have told you something about how I was going to end up here, right? But take disciple Bible study. It's 32 weeks of engaging your head and your heart and looking at scripture, but doing this Christian life together. Trying to figure out why it's difficult and challenging, hard, but also beautiful and joyous. And since those disciple classes won't start to the fall, find a small group or jump into a Sunday school class or keep showing up for Sunday school, which is immediately following this at 1010. We'll help you find somewhere to go. And the third thing I recommend is read or watch Lee Strobel's The Case for Christ, a journalist personal investigation on the evidence of Jesus. Strobel was a journalist and a lawyer. He earned a degree in journalism from Missouri before a law degree at Yale. He worked at the Chicago Tribune as a legal affairs editor. And then his wife, Leslie, became a Christian. And he doubted and he disbelieved and he was curious. And so what he did is he took what he knew as a journalist and as a lawyer and he dug deep and said, can this Bible really be true? And can what others say about Jesus actually be fact? Is this historical man who he says to be? Can his life and death and resurrection actually have happened to save the world? Read the book, watch the movie, and allow him to teach you something about Jesus so you can believe in Jesus. It's one of my favorite Jesus-y movies. It gives evidence and credibility to what we know to be true in Scripture. And those are only three resources of a whole bunch 
if you need something else, ask. But get curious. Don't be afraid. Use scripture. God wants to be known in scripture. But also go to tradition. Sing the songs of faith. Read the creeds. Check out the stained glass windows. Go to nature and science and use your reason and your intellect. That is one of the many things I love about being a United Methodist. We are not asked to check our brains when we enter the church building. Instead, we're asked to engage them and use them and to question. And as we use our reason, reason through learning and knowing, we are able to increase our trust in God. And lastly, ask yourself, where has God been working in my life? And if you can't see where God has been working in your life, ask some of those people I mentioned before. They can tell you some of the ways that God has showed up for them when they least expected it. For many of you, you not only have belief about Jesus, you have belief in Jesus. And for that, I say praise God. Today, pause and remember when you first took that leap of faith. When did you first say, I surrender all. I believe that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Give thanks for the help of the people who got you there. Sunday school teachers and pastors and friends and maybe camp counselors. Thank God for those people who helped you believe in Jesus. But I want to leave with one more question. How do you continue to nurture that belief in Jesus? That confidence, that conviction, that reliance, that trust in? How do you today say, I believe in Jesus? How do you trust him? How do you surrender to him? How do you follow him? How do you abide in him? How do you rely on him? In the book, The Inner Voice of Love by Henry Nowen, he writes, For as long as you can remember, you've been a pleaser, depending on others to give you an identity. Child, sibling, friend, partner, employee, parent, grandparent, board member, neighbor. Yet when you put your belief in Jesus... You let go of all those self-made props and trust that God is enough, enough for you. But some of you go, but Pastor Catherine, God doesn't feel like enough if you have to deal with my boss or maybe my spouse or my kids or my teacher or my situation because there are hard days. See, you don't know my kind of hard there are lonely days and alone days. There are days filled with disease and death and cancer and careers. And there are days of heartache and sorrow and days of fighting with parents and children and coworkers. And this world is broken. How do I keep my belief in Jesus? How do I remember that God so loved me and them? Grace, my friends. Grace. Grace alone. Ephesians 2, 8 says, For by grace you have been saved by faith, and it is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. So on those hard days when you don't know how you're going to keep on going, you actually let go, and you let God. You surrender. You trust and obey. You ask questions. You pray. You abide, you ask for help, you read the scriptures, you sing the songs of faith, 
If you're like me, you probably ask a few more questions and then you wrestle with God. And let me tell you, good, faithful people in scripture wrestled with God a lot. So if you feel like you and God are wrestling, you're in good company. And then you sit in the silence and then you go engage in acts of mercy and justice because sometimes when you're not looking and you start serving is when you're quickest to see God at work and you do what you do today. You show up in Christian community and you remember that in the midst of your doubt, you join with the mighty theologian Augustine and you join his prayer. Oh Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Oh Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. You see, doubt isn't the opposite of faith. We engage in the paradox. The Christian author A.W. Tozer said this, that a Christian's life was a paradox. A real Christian is an odd number anyway. He or she, he feels supreme love for one he has never seen. Talks familiarly every day to someone he cannot see. Expects to go to heaven on the virtue of another. Empties himself in order to be full. Admits he is wrong so that he may be declared right. Goes down in order to get up. Is strongest when she is weakest. Richest when he is poorest. Happiest when she feels the worst. He dies so he can live. Forsakes in order to have. Gives away so he can keep. Sees the invisible, hears the inaudible, and knows that which passes knowledge. Belief isn't blind trust, and belief isn't easy. But I promise you, it's been true for me, that on the best of days, but more importantly, on the worst of days, on the hardest of days, belief in Jesus is worth it. So we join together with the prayer of Augustine. Oh Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Let us pray. Oh God, you love this world so much that you sent your own son, Jesus, to live and die among us in order that we might have life. Forgive us for keeping that abundant life to ourselves. Empower us to share your love with others May we make your life and love known in the world through our words, our attitude, our actions and deed. Teach us what it means to live as children of the light, generously sharing your abundance with our brothers and sisters in need until all the world comes to know and believe in your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.